Well, let's welcome you back to this week in the association. I'm Rob Panier, joined once again by my good buddy, Kevin Luco. And this week, Kevin and I are honored to welcome back Boston Red Sox scout, David Scrivens. David, thanks for joining us again. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. You know, I have to say that I think this is, I mean, you're getting up on the, on the ladder of all-time guest appearances on the show. I mean, you've got to be like third or fourth at this point, so I know you've got to be pretty proud of that. I, I'm very proud, but I'm nowhere nowhere close to Dan Vaughn or some of the other guys, so um, I'm, I think I'm still a ways away. We might have to work on that a little bit, Kevin, to get David up the list. <laughs> well, David, tell us right, right now you guys passed me on the list. <laughs> <laughs> David, tell us before we talk a little bit. Then you'll have a good show in your hands. You're driving home from where? What's going on with you tonight? Yeah, so, um, you know, I coach high school basketball in the winter. I've done that for 28 years now, and it's um, one of the things I do during the off season in baseball. But, um, you know, I coach freshman basketball, and we, we had a game um, earlier today, and, um, you know, we lost. But um, the season's going well, and the the athletes have progressed to them pretty nicely, and um, it's um, it's another season. So, uh. you, you know, you know, David, you've been around baseball for a really long time, and so uh, I know you come across those great minor league baseball names. Are, are there great kind of odd high school mascot names that jump out at uh, jump out at you? Um, let's see. I know in Connecticut there's a handful of um, names. Like one of the high schools is called the Whippets. Um, so that's one of one of them. Another one is called the Bell Ringers, and there's another one in Connecticut, um, the Wreckers. And so those are just the the three that that pop out in my mind. The Whippets is the, the mascot Whippet. Devo. For the old people, is the mascot Depot or something? This one, no. Okay. Uh, Youngsters will explain it later. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. Well, David, let's talk a little bit about it. now. It, it's been a few seasons since Major League Baseball made the big contraction, uh, reducing down. And as a guy out scouting for the Red Sox and looking around the landscape of baseball, what, what's different for you personally as you're out scouting now? I mean, is it easier? Is it harder? What, what kind of, what, what's been come different for you personally? You know, um, that's a good question. Every year has kind of been different. And, um, of course, like after the COVID year, that, that first year there was, um, you know, a, um, a ton of supply and there's a ton of signings that first year. And then the last couple of years, you know, that kind of calmed down a little bit and, um, you know, and talking to a lot of the managers, a lot of them were having trouble, um, you know, um, getting the players that they probably would have another year. So, you know, it's, you know, we're still trying to find guys. We're always looking for guys. Um, you know, I, it seemed like last year the the quality of play was up a little bit, but depending on who you talk to in the different leagues or different managers, they all have different opinions on that. But um, well, 
I, it seemed to me last year that the quality of play was up overall in the independent league, so so that's a good thing. But, you know, we always have needs, and, um, you know, we're trying to, um, you know, upgrade our organization with, with talent and that sort of thing. So it's um, everything else is um, similar. Of course, now, like, you know, we can watch almost all the games on on video, Um so, so that's that's a good thing um, for us. You know, we're we're getting a lot of live looks, but we can also, you know, watch some video before we get to a ballpark for a game. So that's always that's always a plus. As you're watching those games, we're talking about the in, improvement in talent. Are, are there areas that specifically that you're looking at and you're going, wow, you know, we're seeing better fielding shortstops or seeing wider arms. What, what, what kind of has really stood out to you in that talent? Um, I mean, in, in general, there's more velocity than there, than there used to be. Um, but that's probably just like across the board, I would say, as um, a lot of times now, starting in youth baseball or high schools or colleges, there's more emphasis on on velocity. So, um, you know, um, that's important, but, you know, pitchability is something really crucial that that we're looking for. Um, we're, I'm also actually seeing a lot of um, position guys that are, um, you know, playing a handful of positions, like realizing that vers- versatility is important. Um, the other thing I'll say, like going back to the pitchers, though, is, we're seeing a lot of pitchers that maybe historically were relievers and are trying to become starters to maybe like um, get them some more looks from major league clubs or vice versa. So um, I kind of noticed that last year, like guys that I saw as starters and I said, geez, like historically that pitcher maybe relieved for four or five, six years, um, but, you know, tried to, you know, show to major league organizations that, hey, you know what, I can also start or I can also relieve or or that sort of thing. Because, you know, in affiliated ball, a lot of times it's the indie leaguer that's got to kind of make an adjustment, whether it's um, that reliever who now needs to throw some innings or that position guy who all of a sudden they're in affiliated ball and they've got to move over and move off shortstop and move to second base because the team's top prospect um, is going to be playing shortstop or that sort of thing. So, um, you know, we I thought the catchers were a little bit light um, across independent league baseball last year, like overall. But, um, you know, I like overall, like I thought everything was up a notch last year. As you're – you know, scouting, uh, you were talking about you're able to watch a lot of these games at home and, and then figure out where you want to go to and things like that. Are, are are you recommending off of things that you watch at home and then the le- like your, the Red Sox would say to you, okay, go check out this guy or whatever, or is it you're scouting and then you're kind of choosing where you want to go to look at people? How does that process work for you? Yeah, so, um, you know, like I – I do the association and the Atlantic League and the Frontier and the Pioneer League and the United Shores League. So um, that's that's been 54 teams um, 
the last couple of years. So I do a prep list. I have a prep list right now, for example, that um, if we needed to sign a player um, for one of our affiliates or, or that sort of thing, I have a list of, um, you know, position by position and pitchers and catchers and that sort of thing from last year. And um, during the, so during the season, I kind of make my own schedule. Like a lot of it is kind of, um, you know, players that whether it's talking to managers or other ways, like I come up with the names. And, you know, most major league clubs also use their, their office staff to kind of go through some of that stuff too. But then it's a matter of like trying to like time it all out and, figure out like what our priorities are and like what our needs are going to be and where our needs are most likely going to be um, early in the season because that kind of like dictates my schedule. In other words, like if it's more of um, an upper level need, we're more likely to um, fill that through the Atlantic League or the American Association. Whereas if we're looking for, um, let's say, um, um, an A-ball player, you know, we might be more likely to find that in the Frontier League or the Pioneer League or the United Shores. So, um, but it's also tricky because we've got to line up, you know, starting pitchers and their schedules. Um, it's, if it's a relief pitcher, then we have to kind of figure out, you know, when that reliever is going to pitch. And sometimes you don't know when that reliever is going to pitch. Um, and sometimes the managers are good about um, getting guys, getting relievers into games if they know a scout's going to be there. But, um, you know, it all comes down to, like, prioritizing, like, what our needs are. And, and then there's the logistical part of it, too, where some places are easier to get to than others. And I'm on the East Coast in Connecticut, so, you know, I can commute to um, some of the Atlantic League teams and now, of course, um, in the Frontier League, you know, once that Can-Am merger happened a few years back, like, I can commute into New York and New Jersey and Brockton next year now um, to see some of those games as well. So um, that's kind of a plus, too. I, a typical week for me, um, there aren't a whole lot of Indy League games on Mondays, so... Uh, Monday's usually a day at home for me, and then I'm out on the road like Tuesday through um, Sunday usually. And then like one of those days, like Wednesdays or Thursdays, there's usually some morning games or, um, you know, afternoon games. So a lot of times I'll like watch some games during the day as I'm writing reports or doing my research. So that's also nice, too, to be able to watch games during the day, you know, while, like, kind of getting those reports done, but also, like, working on my schedule. So nothing set in stone, but, you know, pretty soon I'll start looking at schedules and trying to figure out, like, how I can piggyback off, um, you know, like going into the Chicago area, for example, there's nine teams with the um, between the association and the Frontier League, there's nine teams within about two hours of Chicago. So I usually like go in there and kind of like bounce around and um, see a bunch of teams. But in the association, as you both know, like there's places that you can go and drive to a handful places as well within two or three hours. So 
kind of about like like prioritizing, but figuring out what makes the most sense logistically and try to like be as efficient as possible to get the most game seen as possible. You, you already kind of hit upon it, but uh, my question was going to be, describe if you could for the fans, let's say you're in the Midwest covering the association, other than, you know, obviously being at the ballpark and your dinner at a five-star restaurant on the Red Sox per diem, um, <laughs> describe, describe your typical day on the road. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's, it's it's challenging because, you know, on the pro side of skipping, of course, like, you know, we're, we're driving a lot, um, we're flying a fair amount, and for me, of course, like being on the East Coast where, you know, I've got to fly for the Association and the Pioneer League and the United Shores, like, you know, it, it can be a little bit challenging with a lot of, you know, connect connectors and trying to, you know, make sure we're, you know, having some balance too, where we're trying to, um, eat somewhat healthy. Um, it, it's definitely challenging because a lot, there are a lot of times, like I'm trying to get to the ballpark at three thirty, quarter or four to talk to managers and, um, watch batting practice and watch a lot of that early work. And then next thing you know, like, if you're eating at the ballpark all the time, like, that's not good. So I try to, like, balance it a little bit and some days, like, get that early work in. But then, like, other days, like, once I've seen um, one or both teams, like, early and talk to the people I need to talk to, try to, you know, maybe um, not show up as, as early sometimes. And, of course, like, on Sundays, um, teams don't take BP and, you know, Saturdays kind of, hit or miss with some teams, but it can be a little bit, a little bit challenging. And, um, last year I think was probably the most flight delays and cancellations I've ever had too. So that, um, posed some challenges as well. So, um, kind of like comes with the territory, I guess. Yeah. It was great to see you at the all-star game. Yeah, for about 45 minutes, right? <laughs> Would you mind sharing that story with the audience that hasn't got really heard why you were only 45 minutes able to enjoy the game? Yeah, I, um, you know, I on that day of the American Association All-Star Game um, in Milwaukee there, I had about four or five hours of um, flight delays out of New York, and it was just one of those days where I kept getting delayed and delayed and delayed, and I think I saw four innings of the game, and, um, you know, fortunately, like, with the association, that was, you know, I had seen all the teams last year, so that was good, um, but of course, like, I would have liked to have seen the whole game since that's why I went out there, too. At least you got to see the most exciting part because it was a great finish to the contest. I didn't hear you. I said at least you got to enjoy, enjoy the best part of the game because it was a pretty exciting finish to the contest. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I always enjoy the All Star games, and it's it's nice too because you know, like 
even as much as you know, I've seen some of the teams like seen all seen you know pitchers one inning each, and then I can kind of figure out the guys that I haven't seen. Like maybe I need to see again, and um, the All Star games too kind of like help help us form a roadmap as far as like who I need to get more looks at after that game's over. But um, it's always nice going out to that Milwaukee area and um. As the, uh, do we know where the game's going to be this year? Kansas City. Kansas City, that's right, that's right. So, um, so it'll be good to get out there, and you guys will be there, right? Of course. We right. have to be there. It's in our contract yep. there somewhere. If, if there's a contract somewhere, <laughs> I, then maybe we're <laughs> Now, 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 I have I have to tell you, David, that I don't think I've gotten any complaint or hate mail recently. So I'm going to throw this out there just to get somebody mad at me. Um, so this United Shores League, uh, what, what's kind of the level of ability? I guess is the question. I'll, I'll try to keep this nice. What, what's, what what kind of talent comes out of this league? Yeah. So the United Shores League is, you know, it's. A lot. It's a really development based. So um, you know they're not playing as many games as um, you know as the other um, you know leagues are. So um, you know they're doing a lot of the pitching development, and then some of the days they don't open up the the um, gates to fans. But um, I would say it's kind of somewhere between the Pioneer League and the Frontier League um, overall as far as kind of where it fits in. But it's it's tough to say because, you know, there have been some big leaguers um, in the last, like, five to six years that have come out of the United Shores League. So, um, but mostly in arms, I think, that have come out of that league and have um, gotten into affiliated or, or, or advanced and affiliated, so, um, you know, but I think, I think they're, I think players are only eligible to be in that league for three years, if I remember correctly. Excuse my ignorance on this, excuse my ignorance, but, um, is that one of the leagues where they all play at the same complex? They do, so it's, it's four teams. Um, it's based in Utica, Michigan, so it's about an hour um, north of Detroit. Um, it's all at the same, um, all at the same complex. So, so a lot of, a lot of, the, and it's one game a day, so they're not playing double headers. But um, you know, so they're probably playing like four to five games a week, I would say, and they share, they share the same facilities and, and that sort of thing. So it's. It's a really unique concept. The um, there's a lot like the fans really support it up that way. They bring in um, they bring in like food trucks and vendors and in the ballpark. It's um, you know it's really well organized and everything. And you know, but a big part of it is like development. So um, it's definitely like from a fan perspective too. It's, it's a good experience. Another game every good every year, and um, 
they do a really great job up there. Do you feel, though, that the players miss out on something by never really having a road game where you're having to get used to the grind on the road and you got so many thousand fans rooting against you as opposed to the one complex league where the fans are just kind of there to see a game? Yeah, I never really thought about it that way. But, yeah, as far as, like, the road trips and that sort of thing, like, they're not they're not getting it. But um, as I, like, go through the Frontier League and the American Association, I see so many players on, on those rosters who um, played in the United Shores League, but they um, kind of um, timed out as far as, like, um, eligibility and there's an age I forget what the age limit is but there's an age limit and then I think it's three years um, in that league so a lot of those players do end up in other other leagues and you know kind of more of a um, traditional type of league um, you know beyond that they don't the United Shores League I don't think turns over its roster as often as as the other leagues, though, because it is development, so um, you know they don't have the quick um, the quick hook with some of the players um, as maybe some of the other leagues might. So does that mean because it's more of a developmental league that a and I don't mean to make it sound this way, but there's less of an emphasis. A little, or at least a little bit of a less of an emphasis on trying to win games as much as it is trying to develop the players the best possible way? That's right. That's right. Because, you know, like in the association and some of the other leagues, like I know the association has the we play to win um, thing. With the United Shores, it's about like, you know, the coaches are working, for example, with the pitchers who um, – you know, they might say, hey, you know what, um, you've got to develop your slider maybe to a certain pitcher. Like, um, you know, we, we know, like, your changeup is, is a plus pitch, but your slider needs some work, so we want you to, you know, work on that. Um, almost like affiliated minor league ball where you're maybe, like, using pitches in a game that might be a weakness, um, whereas – you know, in the association or the Atlantic League or the Frontier League, the pitchers are probably going to throw the pitches that are going to help get the hitters out and win games and that sort of thing. So there's definitely players in the United Shores League have to be open to, like, you know, the, the development plans that they have laid out. Um, so that's a, a big part of it. Otherwise, those players, like, don't really last too long in that in that league. I'll tell you what, honestly, i got to tell you, David, I think Kevin and I have learned more about the United Shores League tonight than we have in the rest of the time we've been talking about Parkland League Baseball. <laughs> Very educational for us, I will tell you, honestly, here today. Uh, you know, you've had a chance now to watch since the Can-Am League and Frontier Leagues have integrated together. How do you feel that has boosted the Frontier League, if it has? Yeah, I mean, you know, what's what's interesting is, you know, they had to kind of, like, merge the various rules as far as, like, player eligibility. So, um, you know, there's more veterans now in the Frontier League. Um, the, the, age, the age 
limit went up, and then there's some better, you know, I forget how many slots it is, but I want to say there's four veteran roster spots maybe um, per team in the Frontier League. So it's um, it's a little bit more of, of a veteran league than it used to be. But then the other part is the whole geographic footprint has changed where, you know, in the past the Frontier League was a lot of it was in the, um, you know, the Midwest and that sort of thing. And then you take the Can-Am part and add the Canadian teams, the New York and New Jersey teams. Now that footprint has really expanded. So, you know, that, that the Frontier League now is probably in position to take on more teams. And, of course, they added, added the team in Brockton, Mass, outside Boston. So they can probably allow more teams um, within that footprint now that they've merged with the Can-Am League. So it's definitely, like, definitely interesting. And, you know, all, all the leagues, like, um, are probably looking to expand as far as number of teams, you know, in, in coming years. David, I'm curious if this has any impact on your scouting. So this year we're going to see Logan Watkins moves from Cleburne up to Winnipeg. Greg Taggart moves out there to the Frontier League. We see Pete and Cavillia coming to Cleburne. When a manager comes in to a new team, does that impact you? In any, or, or do you have an expectation? Okay, this manager has a real good you know, track record of getting different kinds of talent. So maybe you spend a little bit more time scouting a team like that than you might have with the previous manager. Um, that's definitely possible, especially the managers um, in the indie leagues that already have some history in the indie leagues, where there's kind of um like a past record of you know a manager maybe building their team a certain way, and then we we have an idea of like what that manager's most team um you know um but sometimes a manager like in Taggart's situation like he's switching leagues um maybe to to a league that's um you know i would say like more of a younger player league than um than maybe the association you know i'm just like speaking like overall in general so um you know, but sometimes managers, like, are unpredictable, too, and just, um, or maybe, like, building around, like, ballpark factors and things like that. So the way they construct their teams might change as well. But from our standpoint, um, it's also good, like, if, if there's a manager that we have a rapport with that might say, hey, you know what, here's what I think is a major difference between this league and this other league, like that helps us too. And to be able to draw comparisons and get that manager's feedback who maybe has experienced um, different leagues or can give us some historical context as well. Like sometimes we'll say like, how does such and such a player compare to maybe um, a player that that manager had like five years earlier that like that can help us a lot. Interesting. 
Now, you get to travel around to a lot of different ballparks. I've probably seen every in the partner league parks out there. So what's your favorite place to go to? Oh, good question. Um, you know, in the American Association, I really like, you know, all all the ballparks are really, are really neat. They're really good ballparks. I, um, I haven't been to Cleburne in a few years, but, you know, that's a great park down there. And, um, I enjoy going into Chicago and, and Milwaukee's fun and, um, trying to think of some of the others, um, there. Fargo's a good atmosphere. I haven't been to Winnipeg in a, in a few years, but, um, I really like, and then Sioux City and Sioux Falls, I enjoy going into those ballparks as well. And even though, you know, they're a little bit older, um, ballpark-wise, they're still, like, good places to watch a game and they're really good viewing experiences. So, um, and then in the other leagues, um, Evansville's, um, a great place to go just cause it's a, it's a historic ballpark and it's definitely a throwback ballpark. So I enjoy going to Evansville, but, um, you know, gateways, um, really good place to watch a game. And there's so many good ballparks in, in the Indy leagues, whether it's a, ballpark that was built for the Indy Leagues, or some of the ballparks, of course, were built for affiliates and then became Indy League ballparks. So, um, surprisingly, a bunch of the Atlantic League teams I haven't, I haven't, um, you know, been to some of these new places like High Point and Gastonia and um, Charleston. So, um, and Hagerstown is coming in this year. So, I'll probably get to a few a few parks this year that I haven't seen, but I've been to all the association parks and um, I think I've been to all the frontier parks too. Although Quebec um, is hosting the all-star game this year in the, in the frontier league. So this will be my first Quebec trip, but there's a lot of like a lot of the places I really look forward to going to. Oh, I forgot to add Kane County. I mean, Kane County, um, Kevin, you've been there, and I. Kane County is a great atmosphere. That's um, that's been a great addition for the association, and I mean that the times I've been there, they're filled almost. I think every game I've been there, that's been um, a filled ballpark, and there's a lot of like great energy there. Now, Dave, well, I let me ask you about. Oh, go ahead. I just came up with this um, segment about a minute ago, so we're just going to try it on the fly here. <laughs> and it's going to be called Hardball Softball. I got two questions for you. Which one do you want to tackle first, the hardball one or the softball? Um, let's go right to the hardball. All right. I'm glad you said that. Uh, earlier in the show, you mentioned there wasn't a lot of catching prospects out there last summer. And I know myself, we're in my American Association cap. I'm thinking right away of Chris Herman and the monster season he had for Kansas City. As a scout, does there get to be a certain age for a player where you think, okay, I got a book. We already know what this guy can or cannot do. I don't really need to 
file much of a report. I'm looking for somebody that maybe has slipped through the cracks and that's a bit younger. Not really, because like we're kind of like we're trying to keep an eye on everybody, just because we never know like what that need might be. Like we might we might want a veteran catcher to maybe work with you know um, our pitchers or that sort of thing. So um, we're like we're always evaluating because we never know. Like some players are going to improve, some are going to be pretty consistent. Um, some are going to decline and that sort of thing. So it's, we might have a certain history, but um, every year I go to the ballpark and I say, geez, um, you know, this player's really improved this year, or, or you know what, this player really declined this year, or, hey, you know what, this is what I remember from this other player in the past years. So um, it's that's, that's, that's the fun part of, like trying to see like which players are either different than baseball reference says they are or which indie leaguers that maybe we've seen for three, four, five years now are similar or different than like what we remember. So that's, that's the fun. You know, we don't like give up on those players or say, ah, oh, this player, you know, could never do this or, um, maybe historically wasn't like we want to see for ourselves. And, you know, it's, it's always fun when a, a pitcher maybe or a position guy struggle and then all of a sudden they make an adjustment or they figure something out. And next thing you know, like they're having success. So um, we try to be, be open-minded on, on that stuff. And then the managers are helpful too, because sometimes they'll say, Hey, you know what? So-and-so, um, is throwing a lot more strikes than they used to. And um, so that help from the manager kind of um, is, it helps us a lot too. All right. Now the softball. <laughs> you are given the power to eliminate one song from a ballpark playlist. What song would you get rid of? Oh my god! I think that's the hardball question. Um, oh boy! Um, oh god! Um, I gotta imagine you hear "Sweet Caroline" about a uh, hundred times a summer. I definitely because uh, that stuff started at Fenway Park a while ago, so I love the "Sweet Caroline." Um, um, songs, um, YMCA, uh, perhaps. My brothers worked for the YMCA for 25 years, so I'm a little bit uh, biased on that one too. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's hard eliminating songs. <laughs> well, let's just plead the fifth on it then. <laughs> You know, Kevin, I think for the next time that you pull a great segment, by the way, but the next time you pull this up, I think we've got to do it in person. You've got to have a big spotlight in his face. Be like, listen, Scriven, <laughs> give us the hardball answer right now. That's what we're looking for. Yeah, you know, yeah. that, Kevin's, Kevin's question reminds me of this, too, David. I, 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 and I don't know if you can answer this or not, but 
I, I will frequently have players tell me that they believe that by, like, let's say, hitting more power in a season is going to get them better looks. So maybe they were a, a guy hitting 325 or 330, and they're willing to drop off some average because they want to go from 7 to 18 home runs or something like that. Do those kind of things normally help a player, or is that just a player hoping that that works out for them? That's a tough one. Um, I don't know. It's it's the 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 challenge is like you know every time a, a team has a need, it's it's a different need, and sometimes I don't know. Um, some some things where like teams might you know maybe like frown upon like strikeouts or that sort of thing, but say hey like. You know, as long as there's power, and then other organizations might say, "Well, well, um, you know, the power is not as important." Like every team's so different. Um, so I don't know. Like every year, there's players that put up strong numbers, but for whatever case, for whatever reason, um, you know, a team just might not have a match for that skill set. And sometimes it's timing. Sometimes it's um, Maybe um, there's a certain need at a certain level in the organization, or there's so much has to do with timing and need and um, circumstances and and that sort of thing. That's that's where it gets really tricky. Where every year there's players that put up strong numbers, but maybe there wasn't a need for that skill set or or whatever that player provided. So it's not like a like if a pitcher added a great slider. Let's say all of a sudden, they're, so they're throwing a, a, a pretty quality slider as a, as a third pitch. That might get them a, a different kind of look by scouts just because it's something new to them. But a hitter adding a little more power or stealing, you know, 12 more bases or something like that, generally, do they get the same kind of consideration as a pitcher who might have added a, a, another pitch to their repertoire kind of thing? Um... That's a that's a good question. Um, you know, with position guys, it is it is helpful. Like when we, especially if it's a player who maybe changed indie teams, and now we see they're able to make a change. Um, you know, in a new ballpark or or take advantage of maybe um, you know their speed more or their power more, and all of a sudden like their numbers are showing more like maybe in a hitter's ballpark that they didn't show. And I don't know, like maybe um, a home run hitter, like wasn't putting up power in Gary, but all of a sudden they're, you know, they're with Sioux Falls and they're putting up power numbers in the birdcage sort of thing. Or um, the same thing with like speed or like defense or that sort of thing. Like, you know, that, that stuff could definitely like, work in that player's, um, you know, advantages on the pitcher side, though. Um, I don't know. We There's always some experimentation with, with pitchers or managers will say, hey, you know, this pitcher just started throwing the, the, this slider, this cutter, they're experimenting with this or that. But um, I don't know. That's it's definitely a good question. Um, 
I always do like when I see a player like trying something new or especially when it works or um, where we see a spike in maybe um, production, whether it's hitters, um, pitchers, whatever it is, because maybe they experimented with um, a new pitch or they figured something out or they made an adjustment or, and now there's so much video where, you know, the hitting coaches are working with the hitter, you know, the hitters at, at this level and, they can come up with something, um, or same thing with the pitching coaches. So I think that it's more likely now, like to see players come up with something new just because there's so much video available now. And the other thing too, is players coming out of affiliated baseball might say, Hey, you know, um, I was in affiliated ball with a certain team and, um, maybe, you know, they asked me to do something that I wasn't comfortable with, and that took away something in that player's skill set. And now they're in the independent leagues, and they're going back to maybe doing something that they're more comfortable with. So we, we hear of that stuff, too, where um, – and sometimes it's just like hindsight, too, where um, a player might say, well, like the team a team made me make this adjustment, and I wasn't comfortable with it, and now I'm doing my thing. And um, the production's there too. So that's stuff that we definitely try to like dig into and, and um, you know, learn the reasons why maybe someone's production, you know, went up or went down or, or that sort of thing. Interesting. Well, I have to ask you a non-baseball question now, David, because I, I, rem- I think that you told me a couple of years ago that in the fall you coach cross country. Is, is that correct? That's true, yeah. So um, I've coached, I ran cross country in high school and college and then um, started coaching. Um, I think I've been doing that for 26 years. I coached at a high school for 17 years. And then the last six years, I've been coaching um, college, five years, um, excuse me, seven years, five years at Fairfield University in Connecticut. And then the last two years at Quinnipiac. Um, university, so I, I coach cross country in the fall, and um, and really enjoy that, and um, you know, and then we do some training. Um, you know, we have practices actually um, starting in a couple weeks, so we'll we'll do some spring training, and um, I enjoy it. But um, you know, once once the spring stuff ends, then it's time to get into baseball season. So, what's the David Scriven three mile time? <laughs> oh boy my times were not very good in high school but um i would say like my personal record for a 5k was probably about um i'd say 18 minutes which is um i went to a division yeah yeah um I definitely wasn't like one of the better runners on my, um, you know, college team or that sort of thing, but it was, it was good exercise. And, you know, in college, I was probably running 50 miles a week, I would say a lot of weeks and, um, you know, in, in pretty good shape. And some of my, some of my best friends today actually are, are guys that I ran cross country with in high school or college. So it's, um, you know, it's amazing what like, what sports does for us as far as meeting people and friendships and, and stuff like that. So I'm, I'm grateful, um, 
that I'm still involved with all three sports that I played in high school, you know, coaching two of them and then um, being involved with, with, with baseball now for 27, 28 years. No, I'm a little confused because when I was in high school, my teachers would tell me when, when I'm doing my work, take your time and do a good job. And I took that attitude towards running, and that didn't get over so well. So what what did I miss there? <laughs> hey, slow and steady wins the race, right? So, um, yeah, it's um, – you know, in cross country too. The other thing is, like, as someone, you know, I coached high school for a while, and the the ability levels are all are all over the place. And part of it too is like, you know, um, you know, just getting guys out there and participating, and you know, it's more at the high school level. But um, yeah, yeah. Teachers selling you out there, Kevin. I think that's what Dave was trying to tell you there. Yeah, well, well, David, very mixed messaging coming there. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah. Well, David, you're a veteran to the show now, so I know you've got a great final thought for us here tonight. Well, it's always great to chat with you guys, and, um, you know, it's, it's, um, you know, it's 2024 now, so the season's right around the corner, and, um, you know, spring spring training, um, major league spring training starts starts next week. So I'm um, I've been starting to dig in a little bit more on transactions, and um, you know, of course, all the schedules are out with the indie teams. Like I, I can't wait to get the season started. I think I think Atlantic League opening day is around the 25th of of April or so. So I'm looking forward to seeing some new ballparks, and um, I'm looking forward to seeing you guys out in Kansas City or. Sometimes I run into Kevin at, at other places, but um, keep up the great work with with your show. I I love listening to the show every week, and um, it's always great to be on the show. And I'm I'm still a long ways away from Dan Vaughn as far as appearances on the show, but thanks thanks for having me on, and um, it's always great chatting with you guys. Davis Kerman, thanks for joining us this week. Yeah, thanks for doing this. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, Kevin, great having Dave Scrivens on tonight. And uh, we learned a lot about not only scouting, but we learned quite a bit about a, a, a partner league we never paid attention to before. Yeah, maybe one of these years, Rob, we can we can do the road trip out there, catch some United Shores action. 
absolutely. I don't think I can call that partner league because I don't think that they're directly attached to a major league baseball. So I'll still have to call them independent, I think, for right now. But, um, yeah, I, I, I had no idea guys came from out of there to go. So I learned something. My apologies. This week on the shore. Yeah, absolutely. So that 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 looks like a pretty cool little thing going on there. Awesome. Well, Kevin, as uh, I I thought it was very interesting to learn about, you know, what what sometimes scouts are looking for out there, and and how players can try to improve their own resume, I guess, with with uh, with some of these scouts. And so now, when players ask me or, or say something to me about things that they're doing to improve their game. You and I have a little bit more information about how that might help or hurt them, I guess. Well, I've sat in several times with David on the road um, in various places, and it's it's neat to sit in with him and try to watch the game through his eyes, you know, asking him, hey, what what are you looking at here? What are you looking for? And it's, um, it's a different... It's a different perspective on watching baseball, and it's really kind of fascinating. Absolutely. Love that kind of stuff going on. Well, Kevin, let's talk a little bit about what's going on around the American Association this last week, because there were a few signings that went on, some of them quite significant for uh, if you've been a fan for a little while there. So uh, we'll begin with the new year going on, and starting with Sioux Falls, who re-signed outfielder D.H. Jabari Henry, who's been a a huge addition for that club out there, Kevin. One of the most likable guys you're going to come across to the American Association. And I believe not only was hitting for the team, but was the hitting coach this last season. So not surprising he's returning to Sioux Falls and a big return for the club. Yeah, I was wondering if, you know, they maybe wanted him back. Um, I, I, I guess they they decided to let, let him play a, another year for them. So... Absolutely. Very sarcastic, obviously a no-brainer. I mean, one of the (laughs) guys, I tell you, if he can can keep going at the pace he's been on, you you know, you could see somewhere down the road some of Reggie Abercrombie's um, records go by the wayside. Absolutely. We love Reggie, but uh, I honestly got to say, Jabari is one of those guys you just root for because he's such a pleasant, wonderful guy, for sure. Uh, Sioux Falls also signed infielder Josh Rewalt. Uh, I don't know much about him, but Mike Meyer usually makes some really smart picks you out know, there. So he's actually a pretty interesting story because I believe he played in Sioux Falls right out of college, and he didn't, you know, he didn't make that much of an impact. He was, you know, filled a rookie spot. But I read up a little bit on this. He went out east and became. Um, quite a force in the in the Frontier League, and now he comes back to Sioux Falls. So it'd be interesting to see what he does in his second go-around the American Association. See Kevin Loco with the big tidbit right there. We always like that. Uh, the Lincoln Salt Dogs sign infielder Gary Mattis. They also add left-handed pitcher Brett Winkleman and infielder Drew Devine returns to the club. The one guy I thought would have a dramatic impact uh, this season and really was uh, he was taking over that shortstop role after Josh Altman left. So had a fine season for the club and he'll be returning. Um, Brett Chody has a little work to do out there 
Kevin. So I think what the one thing we're going to be watching to see is who he's signing in that bullpen because clearly that was the spot that the team needed a major improvement on this year. I think pretty much every job is probably up for grabs in the pen. T- t- tell me, Kevin. Uh, God, the name's escaping me. The cl- the left-handed guy they had last season. It just slipped off my fa- my my brain. Bon um, Moore. I can't even think. Of- yeah, there you go. <laughs> God, I, I couldn't. For some reason, it just disappeared. I'm getting too old. So, does he have a a complete turnaround this season? For first half of 2022, or or is Stefan? Maybe looking for greener pastures somewhere else by the end of next year. What do you think? Is he fine to come back? I don't think so yet, um, but okay. I know his. He was offered the uh, the, uh, you know, his uh, rights were retained by the club. Okay, but uh, I, I, I I'm interested to see what kind of change he has for this year. Cleburne signs right-handed pitcher Casey Kalich. He returned back to the club. I believe that was the only signing for Cleveland this week. It was. Fargo-Moorhead re-signs infielder Sam Dexter. Uh, Sam, not only a high-quality player for the club, but named captain last year. Not surprising to see him returning in Fargo. No, I mean, he's starting to become a fixture up there. And we've, I mean, how many times have we seen that with players up there where they have made carved out a pretty nice little career playing with the Red Hawks and, you only have to look up back so many years on another shortstop, Zach Penpraise, that was became a Fargo Moorhead legend and played quite a few years in their infield. Outfielder Justin Kirby also signed by the club. Kane County signs right-handed pitcher A.J. Jones and right-handed pitcher Ryan Richardson, both returning to the club for the season. Uh, both had key roles for the team last season, so not surprising to see both returning there for manager George Samus, but a little early to see George Samus signing guys. I honestly tell you, Kevin, I'm not used to the January 3rd signing there uh, for, for George. Yes, it is. I guess he's rolling with the changes because I mean, we're seeing it all over the league. Absolutely. Gary re-signs right-handed pitcher Edward, Edward Cuello and infielder Marcos Gonzalez also signs right-handed pitcher uh, Denny Olivero. Lake Country had a couple of big moves this week, Kevin. They're re-signing infielder Blake DeBerry, who I believe will be on our show next week or the week after that. Uh, there a, he better uh, be a heck of a guest because you've been promoting him for about a month. <laughs> I have been. It's a, the big teaser, Kevin, that I'm going with here. Uh, Merrick Chloop also re-signed with the club after having some pretty big tower numbers after joining the team last season. And uh, uh, another guy here that I am going to – profusely apologize for this because I know I'm not going to get this name right, but catcher, I believe this is Davy Grillion, or could be. I'm, I'm, I'm deeply sorry. I'm, I'm going I'm to come across him this season, and I'm going to profusely apologize because I know I'm saying that name wrong. Uh, and then Milwaukee signs infielder Chase a step and right-handed pitcher Sebastian Rodriguez joining the team out there. Bye. Thought there was one other move. That I, oh yeah, right, Winnipeg signs right-handed pitcher Colton Eastman. I believe that is our transaction. And I believe the also Winnipeg also inked um, Miles Simington, who was a good outfielder. You're right. Yeah. Last year. Yes, Miles was another addition to there, and I I also saw one other guy that where. 
That must have been in the Frontier League that I saw this. It must have been. I know. I also saw Gavin Collins of um, Kansas City Monarchs. I believe he signed with St. Louis. Oh, right on. Okay, well, that's good. No, I, I missed that little tidbit. So good. So, he, you know, he, he was in a very tough situation last year because Chris Herman definitely wasn't sitting, but he found a way to make himself a, a key player for Kansas City last year. He got some time behind the plate, played first, and a little bit of third, I even think, last season while DHing as well, and really had a quite an, a good offensive year. So not surprising to see he got a chance. So congratulations to him. Yeah, we we uh, got another opening in Kansas City as Carter Vadil tweeted out that he is looking for an intern for the summer. So I don't know why aspiring um, broadcasters will be listening to our podcast, but if they are, um, find Carter Vadil on Twitter and what the heck, spend your summer in Kansas City covering the defending American Association champs. You know, great opportunity, great ballpark, great organization. Carter's a, a super nice guy. Um, good barbecue. So, yeah, good person to learn from, too. And a great uh, great community. So great fans out there in Kansas City. They may, they don't think that we think that, but we do. We think you guys are great. Uh, out to the Frontier League, Kevin. Uh, I first of all want to say that they have a, a very uh, well-written article out on the Frontier League website about the Vex and Bill Murray joining uh, to take over Joliet this season. Re- really fun article to read about. I, man, I'm I'm thinking Joliet's going to be a super fun place to be this season. Yeah, I found that to be kind of interesting as they're just coming out with it now. I suppose maybe this just finally became official that they are the owners. I'm not sure on that. But, yeah, very, very good write-up. I think yeah, so we're going to have uh, for the people in Joliet. So, so Mike will be joined by Night Train Vec. Mm-hmm. So, is that his grandson? Is that no? That's his son. It's his son. Okay, so see, I, I, did, I I learned a little bit here today. So, so awesome. Uh, Christine Blaine named as the chief executive officer for. Uh, Sports Facility LLC, um, which I believe is included for both the Washington Wild things and, yeah, I guess, okay, so that's the group that owns the Washington Wild things. So she will be the chief executive officer for them this season. So congratulations to Ms. Blaine for the fantastic job she's doing. And I also saw that the Baltimore Orioles hired the Otters, uh, one of their key athletic trainers from last season, Mandy Flagg, gets signed. So congratulations to her again, an opportunity to work with Major League Affiliate out there. So, see, uh, one of the great things about Partner League Baseball, Kevin, is that it gives opportunities for people in many different fields in the career to get opportunities to grow. So congratulations to Mandy for getting that opportunity. I think that is it from there. The, the Atlantic League had only one bit of news, just because we, Kevin and I have a little bit of a soft spot for Staten Island after uh, our, our good buddy Eddie Medina was the baseball, uh, the baseball operations guy there a couple of years ago. But they, named, uh, they signed Christopher Ogando uh, to the club as the only transaction – or excuse me, he was released by the club, excuse me, as the only transaction in the Atlantic League through the first eight days of the season. So roaring out there in the Atlantic League. And I believe, Kevin, that that is it for 
Partner League Baseball today. How about that? That's it, Kevin. So what do you got? What's going on with Kevin Luco these days? That's what I'm talking about. What's Kevin Luco got going on these days? That's always good to find out about. Well, still in hockey mode, you know, obviously, you know, you got to do a little bit of work to try to put on some marginally quality podcasts that we do here. So, (laughs) but, you know, keeping up on the news, obviously, but, you know, we're in a, we're in full dry, dry, dry dock right now, as far as the blog goes and mostly just following hockey and trying to get through another winter. Hey, marginal quality is still a level of quality, Kevin. So, <laughs> you know, let's just give it that. Um, well, you know, I, you're getting a little. We bit, never want to come ahead. across as being egotistical. So, you know, I've always tried to just go with the self-deprecating route and, um, and uh, it avoids any um, criticism from others. I can't imagine being egotistical about the performance I do on this show. So I'd have to really be setting a, a low standard for what I believe is a high standard, I guess, to make that happen. I think you're getting a little dusting tonight. I'm supposed to get like 12 to 13 inches, they claim, here in, in the Cedar Rapids here this evening. I'm not believing it. I, I never believe other people, so I never think that that's going to happen. But if it does, I guess I'm going to be snowed in tomorrow. Well, it's crazy because I sound like, you know, I'm reading stuff and stuff going on in central Iowa, the Des Moines area. Everything seemed to be getting canceled tonight because of this storm. So, but yet somewhere, somehow up here in Minnesota, we're managing to avoid most of it, which which is just stunning. And I think it's because my wife paid the guy in advance this year to to plow our driveway. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you should have known that was the kiss of death. So you, she wasted your money. <laughs> That's what it was. I heard uh, Nebraska got hammered today, though. So I mean, they were like in the – and it's still getting hammered, from what I'm understanding, like 15, 16 inches there to get. So our, our fans out there in Lincoln, I, I, I hear you had a very tough day. Hope everybody's safe. Sioux Falls, I think, got, as you mentioned, got hit pretty hard, too. Sioux City is supposed to get hit pretty hard. Uh, so, um, and I don't know how far, how deadly, that, or how deadly, how uh, much snow is going to continue on in the Chicago, King County, Gary, places like that. But uh, that blue patch looking across the radar here looks like I'm going to be watching snow for about 12 or 14 more hours from this point on. So, should be fun. <laughs> How about some shout-outs, Kevin? Well, I am going to, in keeping related to what we're talking about, I am going to give a shout-out to all the the fine uh, men and women that um, operate the snowplows that work diligently all the time to keep the road somewhat cleared off so we can get to our destination. You know, it's can't imagine it's an easy job. Granted, you're driving a big truck, but you're also driving through snow, and it's, it's a very important job. And uh, as someone that, like you and I that travel a lot, we're very thankful for those folks for keeping the roads clear for us. I couldn't agree with that more. 
as keeping in that same vein, I'm going to give my shout out to the what I believe to be the most underappreciated drink of all time, Kevin, hot chocolate. You know, you go to places like coffee shops and things like that. There's like a million different varieties of coffees and all kinds of stuff. There's usually just like one hot chocolate. Maybe you get two. Okay, I, I think very underappreciated beverage because hot chocolate definitely hits the spot on a cold day, warms the soul, and makes you feel like, and it's chocolate, you know, so it makes you feel like it's going to be a good day. Yeah, it can't be the it can't be the nice hot chocolate, especially you know, coming home from somewhere really cold and getting nestled back in the house again. And, yeah, throw on a sweater, sit down, re- sit down in the recliner, and have a nice hot chocolate. You can't beat it. Marshmallows or no marshmallows, Kevin? I, I can go either way with it. I don't think there's a wrong answer there. <laughs> right answer. I love it. Well, Kevin and I want to again want to thank David David Scrivens for joining us this week. Always great to have David on the show. Next week, Kevin and I will return. So for Kevin and Luco, I'm Rob Panier. We'll see you next time on This Week in the Association.